Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Every once in a while, you know, when, I, when I've got my, all my kids and grandkids around, there's about 20 of us, and when we're trying to get ready to eat, you know, you always have to start with prayer, and that, that's almost an impossible task. I've discovered that at Thanksgiving, but um, that's, that's why we, uh, we always say, oh, everybody grab a hand, and there's something about grabbing a hand that shuts up the mouth. I've noticed that. So, so I, I was almost saying, everybody grab a hand. Um, hey, I am so glad to be here. I have not I don't think I've been up here speaking to this church since uh, a month and a half ago. I've been in Rome, and then I, for, I totally blanked out that last week we weren't here. We were at an elders' retreat, and um, man, have I missed seeing you. And uh, I am so excited about this morning because our, our subject, we're, we're, we're going through... Um, uh, I decided not to try to say we're going to do a sermon series. We we're going to do. I just said, "Hey, let's talk about Christmas." And then Leslie came up with the theme, and I just happened to get assigned the theme of joy. And what is so unique about that whole idea of joy is that it has been kind of um, a major theme in my life this year. The Lord teaching me about joy. I've been studying it a lot. I was actually thinking earlier in the year about doing a series on it, but, and this is just a little personal habit of mine, every year, about this time of year and into January, I begin to ask the Lord, which one of the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit does He want to major on in my life this year? And what I've found, come to discover is that every time He focuses on one of those fruits, he gives me the hard soil of adversity to grow that fruit in. And so the, 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 the subject of joy, which is probably one of the most misunderstood subjects, and it is a dominant subject of the Christmas story, so let's read it. Let's, and, and everyone knows this Christmas story, so you, can, you don't have to read it if you want to. You can just close your eyes and listen. But listen for a few hints of where we're going to go today. And it came to pass, and this is Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that, there were, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the Lord said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, 
the angel of the Lord said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. <clears throat> so it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which they were, were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amen. Blessings on his precious word. How many of you grew up hearing that story? I mean, I think nearly even unbelievers, people that don't ever go to church, hear that story. The, the first utterances that's kind of the, word, the official word of God which is really an interesting little back and forth that we find in the first two chapters of Luke. Because there's, there's actually two stories and about two births. And one of them is about John the Baptist, and then the other one, of course, is about Jesus here. And John the Baptist happened to also be Jesus' first cousin. And uh, Mary is, um, uh, goes in to see her cousin, Elizabeth and says, hey, Elizabeth, I want to see you. Uh, she was pregnant. She didn't tell her. Evidently, she didn't tell her. And the minute she walks in there, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says the baby was filled with joy and left inside her womb. I could run down that track, but let's just say it this way. To say that a baby is not a sentient being is a heresy and a damnable lie. And it is inviting people to slaughter, which is exactly what Herod eventually did when those incorrigible wise men decided not to go back and tell him that the babe, they found it. And so instead of doing what any reasonable despot would do and send an assassin to kill the baby, he just went ahead and slaughtered every child there. Genocide. But you know, that is not something that we tend to be horrified by because we endorse it publicly and endorse it so often in our culture today. We do these things thoughtlessly, but we judge guys like Herod when we don't judge ourselves. And so 
I, I, I think it's, it's remarkable that one of the reoccurring themes throughout the Scripture is the slaughter of the unborn. And you go, boy, that's not a very joyous subject. Well, one of the interesting subject matters of the Scripture, and really it's juxtaposed over this whole theme of lament and grief, is the subject of biblical joy. And it's almost this extreme paradox that you see over and over again. The first words out of God's mouth through the angel is, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I'm telling you some good news that is going to bring great joy. And what's so fascinating, he, t he chose to reveal it not to the religious leaders of his day. He chose to reveal it to a bunch of, um, how about shipbuilders? How about carpenters on a job site? How about brick masons? How about policemen down at the squad? How about nurses as they... That's who... These were working people. These were not important in the whole big scheme of things. They didn't have any titles. And yet the most important news in the history of the earth got delivered to the least important people in the history of the earth which is really good news for every one of us that thinks we're important or thinks we're not important. It doesn't matter, but he delivered that really good news, and he said it was to make you delight, delighted. So this morning, I, I, was, I heard a story. I really tried to struggle with what, what my title of this was going to be, and I just decided to use the King James Version of 1 Peter, where it says this phrase, un joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. Now, I really liked a couple of other phrases. I, I thought about outrageous joy. And in fact, I thought about in inappropriate joy. And the reason I thought about inappropriate joy is I was reading this story about a Christian who was in the hospital with a terrible case of stage 4 advanced brain cancer. And the nurse who was attending this patient wrote on her chart, patient X is inappropriately joyous. Do you see this? Here's a man who has stage four cancer. He's eaten up with brain cancer. And, and he's in a lot of pain, and yet he is inappropriately joyful because he recognizes something. Well, he's actually being just like Jesus. Jesus was full of joy. And in fact, I think that, um, let me just read you this scripture that tells us about his joy, and it t gives us a clue of how we get joy. Your scepter well, and this is Hebrews, excuse me, verse 1. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Um, notice that. To the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever. He's talking to the, the Lord Jesus, so he's acknowledging right there the divinity of Jesus. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. 
Therefore, you know, I love the way the Bible does things. It says, you know, you, you, you have a sentence and you're following along, and then all of a sudden you, you kind of have this right turn. You go, how, do, how is that connected with this? So he loved righteousness, and he hated lawlessness. So what's the next thing the Lord's going to say? Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy or gladness more than any of your companions. And when you look at that, you might go, I have no idea what that even means. So here the son is who is submitted to the father as a man. And he has been anointed than all of his companions, the ones that are on the earth and all the other created beings. The scripture says that for a little while he was made lower than the angels. And what was the resiliency factor in Jesus' life? Well, later on in Hebrews it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. There was this... So, so what the early writers in the, in the Scripture of the early church, they begin to juxtapose this misery, this despising shame, this, this persecution, this pain, this grief with incredible supernatural joy. And in notice, he uses the word anointed with joy. You're anointed. There's an anointing. In other words, that's always in reference to the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Joy is not something you and I can manufacture. We're going to talk about manufactured joy here in a second. There are all kinds of means and uh, programs to get you joy that's artificial and it's pseudo joy. But Jesus' baseline temperament, and I think that so often, partly because we you know, we're reading our Bibles in today's English, and a lot of times we miss the little subtle uh, tongue-in-cheek humor that Jesus had. But I, I, I discovered this early this year. It was one of those joy bombs that the Lord dropped into my heart. And one of the things that it says about heaven, heaven is filled with joy. There, there's an atmosphere in heaven that is constantly filled with joy. And, and and Jesus kind of makes an offhand remark to it. Uh, he's teaching about the parable of the, the lost coin and the lost son, the, the prodigal son. And, and then he kind of makes a commentary about the state of heaven, which he understands that we don't. And he said, you know, when a sinner comes into the kingdom, there is more joy over one sinner than the 99 that don't leave. And we all hear that verse and we go, okay, yeah, he's really happy I got saved. I must be God's gift to the kingdom. I think that's how we tend to sometimes interpret that. And you are God's gift to the kingdom. But did, did you notice he said, it's more joy than was already there. In other words, the 99 wasn't like he was like, oh, I'm really unhappy with the 99. That's not what Jesus was saying. It's just there's, an, there's a, a raising of the elevation of joy. I think what he's I think this personally, what God was, what happens in heaven is that the joy that happens when any one of us return to the Lord and turn to our maker and make him the Lord of our life 
Heaven is getting a little dose of the, of the joy that you and I get to experience. Because we need joy, and they already have it, but they get to taste the kind of thing that we get, which is, no longer am I un, in, unsaved. I am, I am needing of rescue. I don't need it anymore. I've been rescued. There is no condemnation for me. That is calls for celebration and joy and that's one form of joy but there's another form of joy that we're going to look into a little bit more um that joy that god experiences when a and the angels experience when a sinner comes into the kingdom of heaven tells us something about the lord's joy it's always relational and it's always individual and this, this year when I was just, you know, it's, amaz- it's really amazing. There's very little in theology that talk about joy. I mean, there's a few really good theologians that are probably hard to read for most of us, but uh, there's, there's, there's been a few that have written some incredible stuff on joy. But what, what I found the most interesting was the... The brain scientist who discovered something about joy. And this is very intuitive. To, I think most of you will begin to get it when I tell this little story. Um, don't raise your hand, but most of us, not maybe not all of us, but most of us have incredibly fond memories, if they're past, of our grandparents. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You just, you just couldn't wait to see Grandma and Grandpa. And um, if you're a parent and you have children that go and see their grand, you're like, what am I, Master, you know, Casper the Milk Toast? I mean, you know, they're not happy about seeing me. It's, oh, it's Dad, it's Mom. What brain scientists are now telling us is that the lowest part of your brain, the very first part of your human brain that is developed from the day you're born till about three months particularly, but up to three years, is a part of your lower level brain that is where the whole um, attachment theory, anybody heard that term, attachment theory? It's where... Uh, children deeply attached to their parents. And most of, if we were to poll most people, what is the key to attachment to a, of a child? And people would say, well, of course, it's love. And you know what the brain scientists have found out? No, it's not love. It's not the affection of the lover that causes the attachment. Do you know what causes the attachment? Delight. Children get attached to their parents because they do those silly things. Oh, you are so cute. I'm just going to eat you alive. Did anybody see me do that? Well, that's what granddads do all the time, shamelessly. Oh, come here, give me a hug. I love you. I just enjoy you. You see, 
one of, if you really want to know how God feels about you, you need to discover His joy and delight in you. And think about this. You're a sinner. And you know, you may say, well, I was kind of a nice Baptist sinner. And I was 16 years old, and I hadn't really gotten drunk, and I hadn't fornicated, and I hadn't, you know, maybe, maybe you were one of those kind of sinners. Heaven threw a party when you got saved. You were just as headed to the wrong place as any of us. And then there's those of you that go, man, I, I don't even want to talk about what my sin was. You know, the, God's reaction is the same for every one of us. It's absolute, incredible, jumping up and down, gleeful delight and joy in you. And the reason I believe so many of us feel detached from the Lord is we've never experienced His joy. We have a... And that's, that's one of the reasons um, I, I don't like grim discipleship. You need to be a disciple and you need to get your act together. How many of you want to hang around that person? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being discipled. You know, you, you say, well, yeah, but they're, they're, just, they're just, you know... They're just making a mess of things, kind of like babies in their diapers. You know, this is, this is you know, part of the reason we, we, we need spiritual grandparents and spiritual parents is young believers needed to be delighted in despite their messy diapers. The church is in desperate need of people that go, oh, I just love you. I don't, do you know what they did last week? I don't care. You go, well, God's holy. Yes, and that's why Jesus died. So he could have unconstrained delight in every one of us. Anybody, anybody like that? I like that. Well, I've been discovering how much the Lord delights in me. And now this, was a, this, is, this has been a while ago, but I was, I was having a quiet time. And I just started, I was doing something, and I was kind of like uh, spiritual ADHD. I, would, I was really, depend, you know, I was going to do this, and I was going to be very disciplined, and I was having spiritual ADHD, and I was moving around, and I was kind of thinking about other verses, and I wasn't studying what I was supposed to be studying. And I was just like, okay, Lord. I'm, and... The minute that happened, I felt like the Lord was laughing. <laughs> and I, I sensed him saying, you tickle me. So I don't mind my ADHD spiritually anymore. Because <laughs> that's just the way I am. And he likes the way I am. He made me curious. That's one of, one of the things. He made me is just insatiably curious. I, if you put something that can be read in front of me, I will read it. If all it is is a cereal box, I will read it. <laughs> he, he likes that about me. He really gets a kick out of me. 
in that way. Do you know what he delights in you? He wants to reveal his heart to each and every one of us. If, you can, if there's anything we can walk away this morning knowing is the delight and the joy of the Lord. Well, um, joy is a significant source of spiritual power. Um, joy, it's the strength of the Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy. Wow. Huh. I wonder if there's a reason for that sequence. What if it's that you can't actually ever understand God's joy until you start understanding His delight? His joy in you. His joy in His Son. His joy in Himself. So, Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, guess what the context of that verse was. We're not going to go look at it. But the context of that verse was this. Children of Israel, they were the exiles. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were reading the Scripture, the, the, the Pentateuch, and they were opening it up, and they were sharing this Scripture, and they were reading it all day long. And you know what began to happen? Is the people began to weep. And they began to mourn because they were... They were, they were convicted that of all the things they'd done wrong. And the priest run out, and they say, hold it, hold it, stop, stop. And you're, you're thinking, well, you know, the Lord was constantly telling their ancestors to repent and weep and mourn. Now, these are the exiles coming back, okay? These are the ones that have returned from 70 years of exile. They're coming back into Jerusalem. And, and they begin to weep. And they go, wait, 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 wait. And they say, don't you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is a religious impulse in all of us that the Lord likes to disturb and go, uh-uh, I don't want you weeping right now. I want you being joyous. Because to the degree you have my joy, to the degree you have spiritual strength. And part of the problem, I do believe, that is lacking in His people is we don't have enough joy. And you know, here's what's so fascinating to me about uh, about 25 years ago, give or take, maybe 30, <laughs> there was a little vineyard church up in Toronto, Canada, that a guy that was uh, uh, one of their pastors went and he was preaching in a January, I think it was January, he was preaching, he was a visiting pre preacher, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of God fell and people began to laugh and roll in the floor. Can I just tell you, you go, Steve, you know, that, that, that thing was full of error. Here's what I'd like to say. 
don't weep, laugh. I think what the Lord did in that was he showed his people that he is a joyous, happy God. And I knew people, I had a friend of mine who was the son of the mayor of one of the towns here. He, his dad had been a, a, a pitcher for the New York Yankees back in, during the World Series in the 1950s. He'd played with all those famous players. Um, and uh, Tommy called me up. He said, Steve, I've had the strangest thing that ever happened to me. Tommy was a gambler. He had been, he'd, he was a mess. He was a total rascal. And he met the Lord, but he was barely hanging on. His rascal talons were still reaching out. And, but he'd heard about this thing, and he, he kind of did, God, I need some help. And he decided to go to Toronto, and he got on an airplane, and he went there. Now, this is one of the most unreligious guys you're ever going to meet. I mean, he'd he, he was part of a men's group I had that when he'd pray, he'd cuss. Just that, that the Lord, I think, thought that was funny too. But just because he'd defend the rest of us, you know, if nothing else. But, but Tommy gets on this airplane. He goes to these meetings, and he, he's telling me. And while he's, te- by the way, he's, when he's telling me this story, he's laughing. He's just, and he starts laughing, and I'm like, are you having a nervous breakdown? And, I mean, that's, I'm kind of sitting there. And anyway, Tommy says that what happens is that he gets there, and he's looking around, and he says, I'm like, this is a freak show. There are people laying on the ground. There are people that are laughing. There are people standing up. He said, I am just amazed that I could be so dumb, and I get ready to leave, and then it hits me. And he said, Steve, it was so embarrassing. All the people on the airplane thought I was drunk. <laughs> I kept, I would, I would just start laughing. And the attendants would come back and say, uh, are, are you okay? You know? <laughs> and he said, I was, I, he said, all the way home. He said, it, it's, he said, I, I, can't, I don't know what's happening to me. Can you pastor that? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I, I want us to, to, to jump to it. We're going to wrap this up. Um, I'm going to jump down to the transcendent power of unspeakable joy. In this, you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, glory, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you've not seen, yet you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible. And the word in the, new King, in the King James is unspeakable. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. I had the privilege several years ago of meeting Brother Yoon. Brother Yoon is a church planner in communist China. He had a led several underground church networks. And this is Brother Yoon. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real tiny little guy. And you can see how narrow and tiny and thin Brother Yoon looks, right? Actually, he doesn't. He's, he's pretty stout. But Brother Yoon got down to 55 pounds while he was in prison. Brother Yoon was beaten so many times on his head. He had, he has, he had injuries where the bone was crashed, caved in. And in that part of his brain, he can no longer memorize New and you know he has a hard time memorizing, so he would he would he would he might remember my face, but he would never remember my name. But he was beaten so many times that part of his brain was damaged. Um, he was tortured. I mean, one of the first times he was ever captured, he was captured in a raid. They they literally put a cross on his back and paraded him with a, 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 a leash around his neck all the way through the village, and they cried out, this man is confusing everyone with false religion. There is no religion, there is no God. And then they proceeded to kick him with their boots and, and hit him in the back of the head until he was unconscious. And that was just the first time out of literally 20 or 30 times and including imprisonments that lasted a great deal of time. And one of the things I could say, see that joy on his face? I never saw him not doing that, not once. He was full of joy unspeakable. In, I, I remember reading this verse, and I thought of Brother Yoon. I go, he is someone that is living this verse. And you know, this is exactly what happened in the book of Acts. Silas and Paul, they're preaching. They cast out of a demon, a demon out of a girl who is a fortune teller. She's making her slave masters a lot of money. They get mad, create a riot. Silas and Paul, it says, get beaten. The, the, the Roman legion throws them in jail. And what are they doing? It's about midnight. So you know there's something wrong with these guys. They're kind of like crazy. They're kind of weird. They're not, they're not feeling very orthodox. This is not what you're supposed to be doing at midnight after you've been beaten. And you're in shackles and you're in... And you know what they were doing? They were singing. So if you ask the question, how do you get this joy? There's two real biblical ways I see repeated over and over again. The first one is through singing. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to rise. I want the band to come up, and we're going to sing joy to the world. Come on, let's stand. And the next thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, 
In fact, we, we had this verse. I want to I want to I want to read it again. Psalm 16. You will make to me you will make known to me the path of life. And you'll fill me with joy in your presence. King James says in your presence is fullness of joy with pleasures forevermore. This joy is completely contrarian to the ways of the world. When people reject you, you know what we're supposed to do? Rejoice and be very glad, Jesus said. I mean, Jesus, another title I had for this is defiant joy. It is the ultimate in resistance of this world order. The joy that the Lord is summoning us to is to be resist, part of the underground resistance of the joylessness and dread and sober, sad sack that the world currently is. When the world is full of, of that, we don't have any of it because we are full of a defiant joy, a contrarian joy. We also have a joy that's contagious. Guess what happened? <laughs> it said that the, the prison fell apart when Paul and Silas said the prison literally fell apart. Started, earthquakes started shaking it. Everybody got free. Now, now listen to this. This is what joy does. This is how relational joy is. The Philippian jailer, the head of the jail, was going to commit Harry Carey, which is another word for suicide, by killing himself with his own sword. And Paul and Silas said, don't, 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 don't do that. We're here. We're still here. In fact, everybody's still here. We're not leaving. I, now, I'm wondering how every, all the other prisoners are going, Who's, who do you think you are, Paul? But I think they knew something was going on. These guys were serious. And if you read carefully the rest of that story in Acts 16, the Philippian jailer invites them to his house. They say, we're not leaving. Call the magistrate. Tell them, we're still here. Everybody's still here. Paul and Silas lead them to the Lord. They get baptized, and they believe. And he says, you're going to be, be saved in your whole household. And it says, and they were filled with joy. You see... Joy is contagious, and the world is in desperate need this year for you to be a spreader. You need to be a spreader. You need to be spreading joy wherever you are. But there's a last way you get it is singing, and then you have to stay in the presence of the Lord. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to really, as you're singing this, we enter His gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. That's why, that's why, that's why we worship. The, the, you know, worship before we, we teach on the Word, both are really important, and one's not more important than the other. And in some ways, I would say worship is probably, you know, the singing, worshiping part is more important. I mean, I don't want to negate the authority of the Word, but it, I think you need to really understand God is doing something in your heart when you worship. That's why we do this in a gathered meeting. It's why we do it in our smaller meetings. 
But the presence of the Lord is where joy is found. It's not found in all the other alternatives, the pseudo-joys that are available to us. So this, this Christmas season, I want us to be contagious joy spreaders. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was anointed with joy above all of his brothers and all of his companions, Lord, we embrace your joy. We embrace the joy of the Lord this morning. We want to abide in your presence. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. Fruit comes from staying attached to the tree, attached to the vine, abiding. Lord, it's an outcome. It's not manufactured instantaneously. Lord, I pray that you would grow a harvest of joy in our hearts that keeps us resilient and strong, resistant to the forces that are against us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.